Hey everyone, uh, hi, welcome to Praise Dionysus, uh, praise him, I am, uh, <laughs> that sweet little voice you heard, um, is Sebastiano Pitruzzello. Hello. Huh? <laughs> Who's here with us, with me and you, um, yeah, so, uh, this is still part of our, uh, the fringe gasm, and, uh, yeah, so this, this episode we'll be talking about swinging, swinging seniors cruise ship by the Burton Brothers, um, I would die for you, just not yet by Freya Patience and Layla Ramiti, and Ignis by Anthropocene Play Company. Thanks so much for being here. Amazing. Hey. 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 <laughs> Um, yeah, so Sebastiano is here. Yes. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so you, um, for anyone that's listened to the relevant episodes of it, you were in Stopover relatively recently, yes. and before that you were in Lenore, yeah. which I think is like the first episode that we even had of this thing. Yeah, um, so I think, yes, I, I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but anyway, yeah, no, thanks so much for being here, it's really exciting to, to have you here. No worries, thank you, um, thank you for having my presence here. <laughs> no, anytime, my God. Um, and also, uh, thank you for dubbing me in the... The most recent episode I listened to, which this may be a few episodes after, but it was the discussing Hell Song, uh, in which I was dubbed the Fringe Husband. Uh, I oh. very <laughs> I forgot I said that. Yes, no, that, that was a private decision that I'd made. Um, and thank you for yeah stumbling into that matrimony because oh, oh my god no just a uh, um, part of what has been so thrilling. And I've told a number of people this in private, but one of the most yeah. thrilling things about this fringe experience for me this year has been getting to just like to spend so much time with you. Thank you. You've been it's been so lovely to you know get to know you better. Thank you very much. Um, no, no, of course. Thank you for spending so much time with me. It's been so lovely. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, no. So, um, so we need to give your last week or so a rating out of five stars, which we'll get to. So tell me about the last few days you've been having. What's um, been going on with you? Let's see. What's been happening? Uh, recently, I, I watched Cyrano uh, at MTC. That's Cyrano? Oh, so it's like the Virginia game yes. one. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, and that was incredibly beautiful and wonderful and, and heartfelt and... Yeah, just a, a, a great production from the writing, visual, blocking, acting, all the standpoints. So I was like, cool. I'm really enjoy I really enjoyed it. Um, and I was very on board with a lot of the, the imagery that they had. Um, okay. Yeah. Sure. Did you, cause you, how, did you go in with much familiarity with like Cyrano as a text? No. Um, I just kind of knew that more so the history of this, the, the particular production that it was supposed to be on a little while ago. Hmm. And then they were putting it on and I was like, okay, it's based upon a, a previous, an actual play, but it's a bit of an adaption of that. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that was all the knowledge I really had. Um, and I was just excited to see, well, I have a lot of friends who are big fans of Virginia Gay. So I was excited to see um, Virginia Gay on stage because I hadn't seen that before. Hmm. Um, but also I was really excited to like support um, the show because one of my good friends that I, I met at work, but is a kind of uh, assistant director out in the industry at the moment, doing a whole bunch of great, amazing things. Um, George Lazarus, I believe it's pronounced their last name. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I was just very happy to kind of be watching a, a main stage show and be like, oh, I'm also supporting Friends. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> um, which was nice. But yeah. Sure. So that means you didn't see that, didn't it? Was Peter Dinklage just in a film version of Cyrano? I think so, but I haven't seen the film. Why is your finger not on the pulse of Peter Dinklage's filmography? 
I lost interest after Game of Thrones. No, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Oh, um, sure. Yes. Uh, aside from that, I've been uh, I've been working. Uh, I, I work as an usher, so I've been watching Harry Potter at the Princess Theatre for probably the seventh dozen time, um, <laughs> and then uh, some other stuff in the past week. Uh, Wait, let's get it from like the the horse's mouth, yes. which you are the horse in this. Okay. I don't know if metaphorically it adds up that you're the horse, but sweet horse, <laughs> what do you what do you think of? But like the because I didn't see Harry Potter the abridged version. Mm-hmm. How do you how did the change between the two parter down to the one parter affect it as a piece of art for you? I think it trimmed the fat uh, a little bit. Some of the like more parts that could have been removed were removed. Mm-hmm. Um, They've kind of leaned a little bit more into some of the like the the homosexual undertones between Scorpius and Albus, but not too much. Oh, in, um, a, in a way that feels like they were consciously trying to make it gayer. A little bit, but like still kind of catering towards um, not showing it too much as a, maybe out of fear of dissuading um, audiences from seeing it for being sure. too controversial. I don't know. Okay, um, but like there's little moments. Uh, say for example, this moment towards the end where um, Albus has his hand on Scorpius's, like, shoulder, and it's a very, like, you, you very get get a strong kind of sense of what the intention, like, a very, like, soothing, like, I love you intention is there, oh. um, in a, like, stronger way than just, like, I love you as a friend. Um, Does Scorpius still end up with a girlfriend at the end? Uh, there's, they've changed that line slightly. Okay. So instead of being, uh, I think, like, said yes to going on a date, it's yes to being my friend. Ah. Um, so Scorpius just wants to be friends with, with Rose. <laughs> oh, lovely. But yeah, and I think one other change too, they've cut out some of the... There's like one particular scene in which uh, Draco and and Scorpius kind of have this interaction uh, of of like... It, it's, it, it begins distant, but it actually becomes quite personal personable because Draco realises there's a bit of um, Scorpius's mother in Scorpius. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of becomes like a nice moment of connection for a parent that's otherwise distant. But since they've cut that scene, Draco's just kind of there being like, I do care about my son. Oh. But we don't hug uh, much, except for these little moments that are kind of like, aww, moments for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a strange thing to get rid of. Yes, but I th- I suppose it was just to kind of hone in on the, the narrative of uh, Albus and Scorpius, as opposed to the parents um, okay. a bit more. Sure, that's interesting. Yeah. Because I think even just like having only seen it one time and mm-hmm. having analysed it since then, it seems like one of the one of the I'd say few themes that exist in the show are to do with like father son relationships. Mm. I suppose what the current version has is more of that from like there is still the kind of narrative with Harry, mm. but like a bit more from the perspective as opposed to it being kind of equal or split. It's kind of a bit more from the perspective of um, Albus and Scorpius as the kind of younger side of that relationship kind of looking up towards the parents at least that's the sense i get from what it is now groovy well yeah any any other developments um <laughs> in in the past week i've recently received results on uh, an adhd assessment oh my god uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> which uh basically came back saying i have mild adhd um, right. not to the point where it's severe enough to like impact my life too much but Enough that, like, I looked at the scoring in the actual report and I was like, oh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty clear cut. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that's kind of a, a new thing in my life that's kind of making sense of some of the things and kind of me just navigating that. But, yeah, that was a, a nice little um, kind of subchapter, kind of beginning, ending, shifting. Yeah. What, this was like a beginning and an ending? I, I don't know. 
Um, okay. I suppose an ending to being like, uh, I'm I'm not sure what it is that's odd about me, <laughs> but there's something because people keep telling me. <laughs> um, but also, I suppose a, a beginning in the sense of like, okay, at least I have a name for one thing that makes me a bit kind of quirkier. Um, <laughs> and, and because it's something that's, uh, I suppose, a, a diagnosis mm. that I now feel like I, I do belong to a, a group of people who have also received that. And as a result, I suppose I feel less isolated in whatever my kind of sense of feeling difference within myself is. Right. Um, comparatively, because I'm like, uh, there's that... Not in the logical brain, but in the 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 the, the shaky emotional brain, yeah. <laughs> where it's like, oh, um, I feel different, and maybe that's just because no one else is like me, or I'm not like anyone else, and that's kind of isolating. Yeah. But um, uh, kind of having that brings me at least a step closer to being like, <laughs> no, no, you're not. You, you are like other people. You just um, you you recognize a bit better now the kind of community of people that. Are like you, right? Um, yeah, yeah. How you belong to them? Because yeah, a lot of the times I found myself gravitating towards um, people <laughs> who I'd just be talking to, and I'd be like, "Are you as overwhelmed as me right now?" And they're like, "Yep." <laughs> um, and uh, like, this is just at parties and social occasions, and then um, I just be we just be talking about things, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's an ADHD thing." Uh, I haven't. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. And that just happened more and more, and right. I was just like, "There's a pattern here." Mm. And I, yeah, and the more I kind of delved into it, the more I was like, okay, yeah, I'm exhibiting patterns and trying to also not just ride the TikTok trend, I suppose, of people being like, I've been in lockdown and I realized I have ADHD. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so how did you, how did you manage to consciously not ride the TikTok trend? Or is that just a thing that was on your mind while you were seeking a diagnosis or something? Well, I mean, I didn't. I don't have TikTok. I like the baby boomer I am. I use Instagram Reels, and uh, <laughs> but you use them like you make them. Do you like make... I watch them? Are you watch Instagram <laughs> yeah. Reels. Yes. Okay. Um, but I, I I don't. Uh, I, I didn't get onto that algorithm during during any of the lockdowns, and I also would have just been like, nah. Uh, I want more funny memes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just through meeting people and kind of having more conversations around it. Yeah. Um, also, just because I suppose there's been a bit more discourse around not only ADHD but like uh, ASD, autism spectrum disorder. Yeah. That I um I I found myself being like oh, like one I'm having people kind of tell me these little things that you do usually are kind of byproducts of that, mm. and then also me just kind of being like okay, now how often am I you know forgetting to do things because just because I look away from an, an object. Yeah. Um. Uh, one of the more trivial examples is like, I'll make myself a cup of tea and then two hours later walk through the kitchen and be like, God damn it! <laughs> oh my God, 100%. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it, the kind of disorganization heightening, especially being a performer person who oftentimes is like six projects going at once or something like that, but just being like, oh, um, what was I doing again? Um, and then just kind of starting multiple things and being overwhelmed by big tasks and uh, categorizing goals to like sh- like shorten the kind of extremity of tasks. So instead of having a one big thing, just making it lots of little um, stepping stones to c- accomplish a bigger project, be it reading a book. Yeah. Um, or um, uh, kind of writing a scene even. Yeah. Because um, whenever I've tried writing, that's been a challenge. It's just trying to get 
the scene started. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, where do we, where, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, and I feel with, yeah, with some of obviously the similarities in our minds in that way, it's like starting it is so hard, but then the moment that you're in it, if as long as it's going as it, like, you know, going in an effective kind of way, you can yes. very easily just slip into that being the only thing that exists. Yes. And also, just to say too, yeah. things with, like, that with writing... And also just forgetting stuff around the house. It is also a perfectly normal thing for people to do. Sure. And it's not just <laughs> ADHD. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, it's it's something that I'm like, cool. This isn't, like, this is something that I can work with now that I'm aware of it. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, that makes so much sense to yeah. me. Yes. Yeah, no, I feel like, yeah, again, with the similarities between us. Like, a thing that I only recently stumbled across was the, the thought of, and this for some reason hit me, I don't know if it means anything to you, mm. but looking at these the, these ADHD components of our minds and and even like other components of how we realize that we function like a level of self-awareness that we've achieved um, j- there being a distinct difference between viewing oneself with a level of like loving kindness or like a like a even like not loving kindness like looking at ourselves lovingly more so than looking at ourselves shamefully in yes. the way that we assess and interrogate the things that we do yes and because looking at ourselves lovingly provides space for growth and safety whereas mm. shame, it's kind of just like a smothering force of self-loathing, yep. which doesn't bring about much like beneficial change. I find that's just been a recently like recent discovery for me. Yeah. I suppose. Can I just ask? Um, <laughs> when you were talking earlier about um, feeling different to people and people mm. telling you that you're like strange and quirky, and you acknowledging that you are a strange person, which mm. you certainly are in the best possible way. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have any either moments where you first felt strange or the first? theories that you had in terms of what type of strange you were? Uh, I mean, uh, the, the strange, the sense of the strangeness has been there, uh, mostly lifelong, um, thus far. As far as the type, I wasn't really certain, you know, I kind of would write it off to, you know, just being a genuinely, a generally, like, anxious kind of person, Mm. um, and then just being like, yeah, that's kind of the, the brunt of it. And kind of things are delineated from that as far as the inner rhythm or kind of getting distracted by multiple thoughts um, as just as far as like a byproduct from being kind of in that that fearful, like kind of almost flighty space a lot of the time. Mm. Um, but yeah, the more I did a, a good old little thing called therapy uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like kind of working through a lot of things, um, I discovered that I was like, oh, despite my awareness, my better awareness of stuff, there's still a little bit of something that's, uh, like, making me feel really brain foggy and uh, making me kind of forgetful and also still finding tasks hard to do uh, and struggling to, like, read books that weren't um, scripts because scripts you can kind of read out loud and act out and engage in that way. But Mm. whenever my brain has to just kind of, like maintain attention it just kind of me reading a page but then blipping out of um kind of focus and then being like oh i didn't retain any of anything i've read in the past page and a half yeah um and i'd have to backtrack and i'd become frustrated and then throw the book away because i'd just be like i can't (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah the kind of discovery of, of of noticing the difference uh like once upon a time i suppose picking up what you said as far as moving from towards, like, a, a more loving mindset than a shame-fueled mindset. I think, a lot of, like, it was kind of a thing of, like, you know, y- 
you've got something wrong with you. <laughs> or like there's there's something very different about you. And wrong not in the sense that it's it's a bad thing, mm. but I suppose in that shameful mindset, noticing there's something different. And as a result, that you because you're not like a lot of people in certain respects, mm. that's and uh, the viewers won't be able to the listeners won't be able to see this, but um, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of air quoting. Um, I've forgotten the word. Never mind. <laughs> it's um. That's that's a very. You're talking about you were t- almost on the brink of talking about like normalcy and talking. Yes. About, yeah. Yes. Um. The the uh, kind of what what is normal and as and like the kind of denominator being abnormal is bad, which is not. Yeah. Um And the, especially the more and more I've been around the kind of the the beautiful outcasts that are in <laughs> the the theater industry and the performance industry. Mm. Um. It's like, oh, yes, we are freaks, and I love it. <laughs> um, in our own little unique ways. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, also, my, my favourite little joke I like to make um, in a very fun way is that acting's like the ultimate black hole of a hyperfixation because mm. you can never master it. It's just constantly something that you can feed all your energy into and it'll just suck it up, and you can also kind of take out all this kind of fulfilment because you never... Like you can, you can learn how to like make sourdough really well, but you, you are constantly learning with acting, which mm. is good, <laughs> wow. and like creating because yeah, it's the opposite thing of like kind of implementing energy into a very like I suppose, uh, thing that's like almost formulaic as opposed to kind of exploring something that's kind of constantly, a bit vague and yeah. kind of constantly evolving itself into something. Uh, different and uh, exciting and beautiful. <laughs> God, that's nice. Yeah, sure. And I guess with making sourdough, you're always making sourdough. <laughs> Whereas uh, acting yeah. is different. <laughs> yeah, and it changes from project to project. Yes. It's not just a loaf of bread. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and even if you aren't very versatile as an actor sourdough maker, you know, at least then your acting sourdough is still going to be alongside everyone else's, you know, foods. If we're making each play as a different restaurant. Like, yeah. you're going to feature differently and be experienced differently by a different group of people eating different things in a different mood. Yes. With different music playing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> My brain's taking a second to, like, catch up with this metaphor. But yeah, like, no. Yes. Maybe that's so- just a weak metaphor, but it's... <laughs> no, I get what you're saying, and that's really lovely. Great. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. So, no, thanks for sharing that. Great. Wait, so how, how would you rate uh, the things you just talked oh, about out of five stars? I suppose, <laughs> to, to bring it back around to um, the, the kind of... A fringe gasm. Yeah. Uh, I'll wait at thirty-five stars, which was the the number the number of shows I watched. By oh, you saw thirty-five. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So yes, thirty-five stars. Great. And and for you, Jay. For me, for me, I think it, what in the last few days I I had like two days off because of that goddamn horse race. <laughs> goddamn horse race. Goddamn horse race. And I spent uh, yesterday, the Tuesday, um, just like, pretty much reading all day. And it had been a while since I, uh, for a number of reasons, had had like the, the mental capacity or like the time to even just like sit and read. Mm. And yeah, I just was just like swapping between like two books that I've just very rapidly fallen in love with. And it was just nice to spend like a whole day with with with, with books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. And also I'm sure it would have added to, um, because... Uh, in the moments on those days that it was raining, but the mm. kind of romance of reading a book on a rainy day. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that whole thing. 
Oh, fuck, that's nice. Yeah, no, 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 sorry. I was about to say something hurtful about a thing that someone said in a cabaret once, but I'm not going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to give my last couple of days, um, I'm going to say eight. I'm going to give it eight stars because I recently watched a really great Jacques Cousteau uh, octopus documentary and octopuses <laughs> have eight legs yes, yes. <laughs> uh, great uh, great let's talk about some theater yay let's do it <laughs> um so yep first up uh we are talking about swinging seniors cruise ship which was a little comedy show that um originally i was supposed to be watching with jake but jake had a little Mishap with a tram, I believe. Was it, it was. <laughs> I was meant to come and meet you, but then I went and saw Jan Padinsky at the Rubber Chicken, which I'll get into some other time. But it was <laughs> remarkable. But then I started talking to the performer's dad. It's convoluted the tale. But then by the time I got on the tram, the tram then just refused to be a tram. It was like I'd rather be a house, and it's like I have somewhere to be. <laughs> there was a man waiting for me, but no, so I couldn't get there. So yeah. But yes. So as a result, I ended up watching the show, and I I had my good friend uh, Thomas Costigan, who was in Law and Order PT. Because, oh great! Yeah, um, he his he was involved with another show. He was directing, and he popped up just to watch it with his artist pass. So he was sitting with me in the front row of uh, the Swinging Seniors cruise ship, which was performed by the Burton brothers. And yes, they are real brothers, Josh and Tom Burton. Um, and it was kind of like a sketch comedy show kind of vibe. Okay. Um, but yeah, basically with that one also like I was, I will admit I was given a bit of forewarning by uh, Connor. Our good friend Connor. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> just by uh, him being like, oh, Seb, have some keys ready. Um, and I was like, okay. Because <laughs> it's a, the, the, like, like the swingers kind of thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so while I was in the front row, um, and they, like it began with uh, the, the Burton brothers coming out. And I'm pretty sure it's been, it's been a, a wee while since I've seen the show. But I'm pretty sure there was the two of them coming out kind of doing... Uh, European accents um, <laughs> and being like, uh, everyone, put your keys into the bowl. Go on, put it in the bowl. And holding out this bowl to the audience, yeah. to which I was like, I'm ready. <laughs> so I take out my keys, I put them in that bowl, and then um, kind of they, they kind of go around a little bit and asking questions of like, oh, where do you keep your most value pos- valuable possessions? <laughs> like, um, uh, is that by your bedroom or the lounge room? <laughs> like, trying to essentially frame oh, it as like yes. they're gonna rob me. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then at the basically at the end of this get, like sketch where they get the, all the keys from whoever's offered them. Yes. They're just like uh, there's an announcement that's over the top of like uh, ladies and gentlemen along the, uh, along the uh, aboard the swingers ship. Um, just to let you know, there are two stowaways that have come on board. Uh, and have been trying to steal items, <laughs> to which they're like, "We've got to go." <laughs> like, but yeah, it was a, it was a good laugh. That's um, really funny. It was a very fun show. Um, it was kind of like that that typical kind of uh, straight guy, funny guy kind of like comedic dyna- dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh was the more kind of like reeling back in the the wild kind of silliness of Tom. Uh, one good example at one point in the show. Uh, almost in that kind of reeling back frustration territory, playing up the, like, I know what we're doing, you don't. <laughs> so, um, and I'm going to do what you're doing, but better. So uh, there was one moment where Josh, who was actually a really lovely singer, was, like, kind oh. of singing a little bit of a song with a, like, like a serious song with the, the, the keyboard, um, and then kind of intermittently being interrupted by um, Tom living out his, his lifelong dream stated in the show of getting jam on his pants. 
Um, okay. So why was that his dream? Why not? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, he comes onto the stage, uh, like, mid-song, and, the, you know, the music changes from serious piano to, like, kind of, like, goofy, kind of fun, being like, I've got jam on my pants! Um, <laughs> and just him just kind of holding out one leg with just, like, a smudge of jam on his, like, board shorts, just... Like, kind of, I, I'm currently uh, hitting the sides of my hands on uh, my upper thigh. Um, <laughs> to demonstrate. Picture it. Picture yeah. it. <laughs> um, which, and they kind of switched between that. And the kind of, like, little wholesome turnaround was, like, uh, Josh's character being like, you know what? Yes. There is beauty in that. And, like, beauty in the, in the simplicity of just wanting to achieve it. Good on you for achieving your goal. Huh. I should lower my standards with life. Oh god! <laughs> in the sense of like being like you, I am not good enough. I must do better. So it's like in the, like kind of very wholesome territory. Okay. Um and yeah, it was like it was a bit a bit of like a, a nice little a little takeaway from it. But um yeah, overall the show was. Wait, sorry, was that a real takeaway that you took? I think so. In the sense of just being like, not needing to be perfect and just enjoying, you know, relishing and even just some of the silly kind of things within yourself that are just like maybe not jam on my pants but you know <laughs> uh looking at well sorry i'm on a rocking chair so i fell into a different dimension there for a moment um uh kind of looping it back to what we said before like you know just being satisfied with a sourdough <laughs> <laughs> motifs everyone here so um we're just we're gonna just keep coming back to that i assume yeah maybe. of course i hope so <laughs> but yeah um just kind of the beauty and simplicity okay Along with having all the other noise, but yeah. Sure. Okay. Was it set on a cruise ship? I don't yes. Know if yeah, it that, was. that was the kind of the, the, the caveat for uh, the, the skits. Like, all these skits were happening on the cruise ship. Okay, great. Um, and so that was the kind of thing that, that made sense of the kind of shifting nature of it all. Beautiful. God, have you, have you seen many shows set on cruise ships? Because I've seen three in the last, like, 12 months. I don't think so. You don't think so? I also have never been on a cruise ship, so... Oh my. <laughs> yeah. Is that a jam-on-your-pants-style dream that you hope to achieve one day? Maybe. Your face doesn't look like you have much <laughs> interest in being on a boat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of water. <laughs> Generally speaking, there's a lot of Not, water. I mean, I'm sure there's some in the pools on the boat, but around the boat. <laughs> yes. Yes. But, um... Uh, Is I'm that also... a pro? Of... <laughs> Why are you bringing up the water? Is that... Do you want to be around that much water? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, I feel like it'd be a little rocky, and also you'd get a, an interesting amount of holidaying people just uh, just in weird vibes the entire time. <laughs> yes, I find big groups of people slightly overwhelming. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd feel like if I was ever on a cruise ship, I'd be one of the the weirdos, just kind of people watching in bafflement of just like, what is this? <laughs> Am I just on the ship in Wally? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so do you? Do you also? Because I sort of do to an extent as well. I'm trying to keep an open mind to it, but I mm. feel like the species of person that is attracted to the idea of a cruise is a particular type of person. Yes, and maybe even listening to the way you were describing it, outside of the weird things you said about water, the idea of <laughs> like, I feel like the people on a cruise ship must have a real sense of optimism in terms of. You're going to be stuck on this, like, big, wet hotel yes. for a few days, presumably. Yeah. And to go into it optimistic enough that the people around you are going to be of a quality that can guarantee you, or at least won't impede your capacity to have a good time mm. on that wet hotel mm. is a level of open-heartedness and, I don't know, faith in humanity that I wish I were just a bit more <laughs> capable of. I can relate. Yeah? And also, um, I... I lied before when I said I hadn't seen a show about a cruise ship. Oh. I also watched another one with you recently too, which was the um, 
Um, uh, oh, Concudus. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that's two cruise ship shows recently. Sure. Yeah. Do you have like, when you turn to theatre generally, even outside of Fringe, mm. do, in a very general Sebastiano's brain kind of sense, mm. do you turn to theatre for comedy? It's um, a good question. I, uh, I, I, I find comedy fascinating in the sense of like how you navigate funny, <laughs> especially okay. when it comes. I think if we're talking specifically theatre, which in this specific way I'm speaking now is a little bit separate to like sketch comedy. Mm. Um, that when you're playing with comedy in theatre, because you have like a a very distinct text. Um, it's, and it's always interesting to see how people... Sometimes it's written really funny. Other times you find the funny in the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And other times it can be those things and a million other myriad ways of finding funny. Yeah. And um, I always find the exploration of how people get there interesting. So I do enjoy watching theatre with comedy. And also I find more serious theatre um, if they really find a good space for the for the little moments that are like kind of alleviations of the serious um that those are really beautiful and all and the classic thing that makes it all the more heart-wrenching when there's the the big tragedy that happens mm-hmm. but um i mean when it comes to the theater that i watch i think it's just whatever's kind of interesting and also just supporting friends but <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah uh whatever just kind of takes takes my 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 interest uh, I just like to be excited by it. <laughs> yeah, right. Good. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I like the way you think about things. Um, even just listening <laughs> to the way that you described that, um, did you have the moment in... Because you've also been to drama school. Yeah. Um, and I don't know at what point you consider this to have happened. I'm sure it's a thing that you did experience of like when you crossed that divide from kind of like being kind of like ignorantly aware that you cared about theatre to then crossing through the threshold of acquiring the vocabulary necessary to kind of interrogate it as an artistic undertaking Mm -hmm. and I certainly felt that the moment that I began to kind of pick apart what theatre was as I began to understand it almost from an academic position Mm. I became less and less capable for a while of enjoying it okay yep did that happen to you I think as far as my, 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 my journey with my relationship to how I've viewed things um once upon a time I think there was a lot of insecurity in the sense of like oh I had this thought about this thing uh I'm not experienced enough I don't know what I'm talking about I just, I'm just maybe yeah maybe that like that thing didn't just fall flat <laughs> um but I think the, the more time I've kind of had conversations about some of my thoughts or feelings and like what's excited me about a show and like sometimes with shows you know what, what I'm like oh I just wanted to just a bit more of that. Um, <laughs> uh, I've found the more people I've had those kind of conversations with, the more kind of, I suppose, just from general repetition, like, I'm like, oh, they're taking my opinion seriously. <laughs> and then being like, oh, that's kind of validating. So I, I think um, as, as time's gone on, I think I, I've gr- had a gradual increase in having faith in what I feel about a show and then also at the same time being like, okay, but I enjoy this, um, even when it's not working. Um, just from a standpoint of like, I'm I'm excited just at the fact that these people here have gotten this thing up and are, are just doing it, mm. um, and just being like, and sometimes if it's just a bit of a mess, uh, being able to be like, this is a horrendous mess, but this is also kind of like 
cool. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. No, talking to you about Babe City Hotline. <laughs> that's all I'm thinking about. Yeah, I mean that that show had its its messy quality, but I remember listening to to what you said about it, and I was like, yeah, like. In any other kind of incarnation of that, it just wouldn't have been the same. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that show was was it was what it needed to be. As like beautifully baffling as it was, um, like it was fun. <laughs> it was kind of out there, and it I left it kind of being exhilarated and excited with <laughs> thoughts and feelings in which I expressed with you and and Tobias um, when we're on that tram having a laugh just about. <laughs> The kind of shock of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. Okay, let's talk about the next show. Yes. <laughs> okay, great. So, uh, we both saw separately from each other... Yes. ...a show... <laughs> yes. Yeah. You weren't there. Yeah. <laughs> you also weren't there. Yeah, so we both went individually on different days to the Bluestone Church art space in Footscray. Yes. Yes? Yes, we <laughs> <Just> did. looking <laughs> at you... <laughs> Um, yeah, for uh, to see uh, Freya Patience and Layla Ramiti's production, like they wrote and directed a show called "I Would Die for You" (parentheses not just yet). Yes, yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm doubting everything until you say correct. Yeah, great, great, good. Uh, yeah, so yeah, um, so I guess essentially the plot, and we can cross reference with each other. Yes. The plot, my understanding of the plot, there are two women who are vampires. Yes. Yes. And then there's, there's a man that comes along and meets them. And then he murders his grandmother. Yes. Because, question mark, I was not sure on why. Do you know why that happened? Um, the, the grandmother was murdered because one of the, the vampires had a bit of a crush on the, the man character played by uh, Paolo... Uh, Bartolome. Yep. Yes. Um, and... Uh, was like trying to do something nice by kind of trying to turn his dying nonna um, into, into a, a vampire. vampire. Yes. Oh my and god. And then like halfway through, it was kind of like the nonna was a little too into it. <laughs> and I was like, nah, I'm out. <laughs> to which I think the nonna had a heart attack or died or something. I, I, granted, I can't quite recall. But the grandmother died and then came back to life as a vampire. Did he kill her with an axe? Or? Yes. Yeah. Because then, as when she was a vampire, she was like to him. Right. So um, <laughs> um, he he decided to have an axe and kill her. To which her her body then was a skeleton for the rest of the show. Yes. <laughs> to comedic effect. Yes. 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 Yep. And then it ends up being about other things that we'll also talk about. Yes. So that's essentially what happened. Um, part of what drew me to this was having seen Freya Patience be amazing in Vibe Check. Oh, and also Vibe Check. Yeah, no, it was at Butterfly Club a couple months ago. And I just, well, while watching it, was just like transfixed by her. And then um, Paolo Bartolome was also like a standout wonderfulness in, did you see Medea that yes. they did at Theatre Works? Yes. Did you feel similarly about Paolo in that? Yes. Um, yeah. Paolo, uh, even just... Uh, Another Italian actor. I'm just like, pride! Woo! Like, <laughs> I, I'm here for it! <laughs> like, <laughs> did you go to the Italian Ligon Street Festival the other day? Uh, oh, the, the French Parade? Was that the, one? Or just the, just no, the... Because <laughs> if I got that confused. <laughs> so no, that was a Ligon Street. That was a big thing. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't all Italian. There was like an Italian like Ligon Street Parade the other day. No, I didn't. No, okay, sure. No, I understand you aren't a monolith. <laughs> you can't all be parade people. Yeah. Uh, do you know Paolo? It's, am I um, really asking if all Italians know each other? Do you know Paolo Bartolome? Uh, y- kind of, yes. Okay. Um, like, we met 
because uh, Paolo's also associated with the NAC theatre that put on Lenore. Oh, great. We met then, um, just in that kind of general, like, it was after the show had been done. It was after, at, like, the kind of wind-down post-season drinks where we were just at a pub, and Paolo popped by, and it was just like, hello, nice to meet you. Um, and it's just like, oh, oh. Like, we're both Italian. How, how crazy is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I also had realised I'd, I'd met him a little bit a couple of years before um, at, like, a, a, an MEAA uh, graduates day, because... He graduated the same year that I did from university, from the National um, Theatre School. Yeah, yeah. And I just remember meeting an Itali- another uh, Italian actor who was also just very conventionally handsome. And I was like, God, they're, they're beautiful. <laughs> and, and I remember being like, Paolo. And I, I, it, it hit me at some point, maybe a couple months ago, that I was like, we met before the knack! <laughs> so yes, um, uh, Paolo also, yeah, I, I've, I've just heard good things about how he's approached acting, so I was excited just to see him in another... Thing. Yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, cool. How did you feel about this show in a general sense? What did it make you feel? Um, I felt kind of... It was chaotic in a good way. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, it kind of was a bit frenetic. Mm. Uh, almost at times uh, farcical in its kind of bigness mm. in, in the, the, the more slapsticky kind of moments. Sure. Um, it was interesting seeing them like navigate... The, the, the piece of set that they had. The set terrified me. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, were you also frightened that someone would just get murdered by it? Yes. yes. So, have we, have we talked about it yet? No, no. describe okay. the set. So, so the set was like a, a, a stage, little small platform on wheels that had two kind of supports coming out of it and a coffin on top of those two supports um, in which you could fit multiple people in that coffin. Yeah. And then during the show, one of the, the two kind of supports under the coffin... Uh, could be lowered as to angle the coffin in a way that is very, I suppose, Nosferatu-esque. Like, you can kind of lean into a maybe 45-degree angle. Um, yes, in the, in the moments where they decided to start spinning the coffin around. Oh, my God. Um, I was just looking at these barefooted vampires being like, the feet! The feet! <laughs> They're going to get hurt! Yes! Uh, but, oh, my God. Anytime that like one of them was underneath it while someone was inside it, it's like... Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch a murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, regardless, it was a a cool little I suppose simple fringy set that yeah. they could kind of move into the space and move out. Oh my god! In fact, it was really impressive. Like obviously, like that's the thing. It looked like a stable structure. Yes. We, the two of us, are just not capable of like <laughs> letting our minds rest. Yes. <laughs> I just didn't want to see a foot come off. But yeah, it was made by someone named Lily, whose name I couldn't find, like surname I couldn't find anywhere. Okay. But someone named Lily made a very sturdy, very impressive, quite anxiety-inducing coffin. Yes. Yeah. No. So good on you, Lily. Good on you, Lily. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. that was cool. But yeah, no, the frenetic energy. Yeah. It like it it had the vibe of like it, like it, and that's kind of like to me at least it felt like that's what was propelling it. Like even mm. l- arguably more so than the plot was. I'd yeah. say the thing that felt like the show kept moving due to was the fact of these three actors pushing it along. Yes, and yeah. then like even granted some of the, the the concepts brought up in the plot were like kind of like hmm, yeah, kind of the idea of um in, like what if you were immortal? Because mm. the kind of dilemma that that Paolo's character faces mm. is like do I live a normal life and go out and be potentially thought to have murdered my nonna, mm-hmm. which technically it did because she was a vampire, um, <laughs> um, or do I stay with these vampires and turn into a vampire and as a result never see daylight again mm. and kind of become isolated because the whole stories that they kind of say that the, the vampires kind of came across each other and they're friends for maybe a couple hundred years and they just go off and are on their own for a while. Mm. Um, so the kind of loneliness of that. Which is, I was like, oh, 
that's, a, that's actually a nice little concept to kind of take on as an audience member. Which concept? Just, just like the, the, the notion of, I suppose, the cost of immortality. Because a lot of people mm. are like, oh, I'd love to live forever. But mm. um, yeah, just the, the kind of... I, I enjoy when, whenever a piece of theatre brings up a, a little um, dilemma like that. What's the name of like the, the, the railroad <laughs> dilemma where it's like you pull the lever and there's like... Oh, that utilitarian... The trolley problem. Yes, the trolley problem. Yeah. Like <laughs> kind, of, kind of things like that where it's like there are merits and faults, but like, uh, I mean, ultimately, do you pull the lever or do you um, remain... Kind mm. of and f- and face the consequences as they are, or face the consequences. You're just doomed either way. <laughs> really, <laughs> no, completely. No, and I think the most interesting. Then this is to generalize, but I think the most interesting time that theatre engages with the with those sorts of things is what it's so capable of doing is like showing someone making a decision like that and showing mm. you the consequences of that decision, as mm. opposed to just lobbing up the question and then providing no example of an answer. Yes. Yeah. I, and one thing I also should commend, um, uh, Paolo Freya and um, and Layla. Uh, and this was one of the things that when I kind of was initially processing the show it was one of the first things that kind of came to mind but I really mm. enjoyed the the kind of sense of play between the three actors and that kind of feeds into the, the, the frenetic energy but like that they were all kind of ready for whatever happened yeah um, granted I went one of the earlier performances so they'd only had maybe one run of the show in the space so mm. it was a little bit like we it's a little bit lifted <laughs> almost there as far as like feeling settled, mm. but we're still going to do it anyway. Yeah. So it had a bit of that kind of, and that, that's maybe where the word chaotic comes from, but like <laughs> that kind of energy. Yeah, no, somehow I totally agree. And and part of even that unity was, it was very present in how impressive and sharp all the slapstick moments were. Yes. And even in like moments of like the bows, like somehow yeah. it was very obvious that they were very proud of what they'd done together and they did it as a group together in the way yeah. that they bowed at the end of the show. Well, I, I believe there, there isn't a direct. I think it was directed by kind of them all three together. That's what, what it seems to, yeah, based on the research I've done, yeah. that's what it says. Yeah, which is cool. Um, even the way that like the text seemed to exist in the show as well. It seemed almost, and I think this is why it took me a second to like to get my mind in the in the space to engage with the text properly, because it felt the way that at least it was coming out of their mouth and the way the text seemed was like it seemed to, to guess what the script looked like and then to watch the production. It felt almost like almost like they sort of like got the gist of what the script was, mm. and then it just kind of decided, okay, guys, we sort of know what happens in the play. We kind of know most <laughs> of the lines, but let's just get out there and have fun. Yeah. And, <laughs> And that's somehow how it felt. Yes, I, I, I agree. I agree. Even even in like there was the, what was it? There was one little moment that I, I remember gave me a good little chuckle. But uh, at one moment they're like doing this little dance around as ghosts, and then Paolo's <laughs> character gets like hit in the nose and has a blood nose. Yeah. Um, to which is like, oh no! And then every time he proceeded to remove his hand from his nose, um, the two kind of vampire characters were like, <laughs> like being <laughs> unable to resist their the vampire urges, and then that, then Paolo like covering up quickly, and then being like, no, no, sorry, it's okay. Like this time. It won't happen. It's all right. And then he'd be like, okay. And then it takes off and then proceed to then go like, <laughs> uh, uncontrollably, which I, I was just like, <laughs> the way they're playing into this moment is quite fun. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Um, I, I want to point out Jarman Oakley, who designed the production, or at least the lighting and the sound yes. and operated as well. Do you know this person? No, I don't. But, but um, as far as like initial comments, it, I thought it was the, at least like the, the lighting and, and the design aspect was also really kind of strong for the, for the space that they were in because of Bluestone. Church is a bit of a challenging space. Yeah, absolutely. But like, yeah. Um, as far as especially for like comedic effect, the the way they shifted into moments because there was a there was like a moment where Paolo was trying to kind of give the eulogy of his nonna. Yeah. Uh, as they had buried her in the ground, <laughs> just in the middle of the park, and then the, the the two vampires just constantly chiming in and the lighting changing and then switching back and yeah, then yeah, yeah. like 
uh, kind of finding the essence of that moment and then having it subverted and then bringing it back and then playing around with that mm. was um was also like really cool from a design standpoint. Yes. Yeah. No, I agree. It was. Yeah. There was some striking stuff like that. I think a moment that like stuck with me real hard because of the lighting and because of acting. You know, a bunch of stuff working together. Mm. But it was kind of like with all this freneticism, I'd I'd sort of as an audience member and me being in my brain. I had gotten to this point maybe three quarters of the way through the show of being like, oh God, I am so like flustered in the way of like, I'm not used to taking in a story this way. Like I'm not used to words buffeting me like this. I'm not used to theatre feeling this way. Mm. Especially I saw this towards the end of my, you know, fringe experience. So I'd also just had such a stampede of plays happen. Mm. Um, So it was around like three quarters of the way through this show. And I was like, God, what's going on? (laughs) Just give me a second. And then the the lighting shifted and it was moments after Layla's character had left. Mm. And Freya had watched her leave. And then the lighting changed. And then this like beautiful orange light was just like, hitting Freya's face and she turned back to look at Paolo and the, the expression on her face was just this like kind of like it was like a like a dismay coloured by like a like a hope or something mm. but it was just like the way that her face was lit and the way it looked and the way she moved it towards Paolo's I was like in that moment like somehow everything that had happened in the play became a very comfortable shape and then it's kind of like slotted into my mind mm. and I was like oh God, I know what this play's about. I know enough about what has happened. And in this moment of stillness, I can like now properly like hold on to it and experience the rest of what then came. Yes. You know, and and it was a testament to, you know, these artists and what they're capable of doing. Yes. And that's cool. Yeah. Even hearing you talk about that reminded me of another design moment, which was, I think when they were talking about sunlight, because the sun was like coming up and... Um, Is this when they were sitting on the roof? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it was... Paolo's character was like kind of holding his hand in the light, mm. um, and I, in, in for me as the, my audience brain, I was like, yes, I I feel that sunlight in that moment, ah. and I, I feel that like the two vampire characters being unable to touch it kind of miss it, and that yeah. in that moment Paolo was like kind of being like, oh, do I want to feel be able to feel this for the rest of my my life, mm. or do I want to sacrifice that kind of thing? Um, which was was a nice little kind of addition uh, as far as from a design perspective, and 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 the moment as they'd landed in the story at that point. Mm. Um, yeah, also hearing you talk about the um, kind of feeling a, a little bit, like, almost overwhelmed uh, kind of in the in the prelude to that that moment. Sure. Um, I, I think as someone who's very sensitive uh, auditory-wise, mm. um, the, the Bluestone Church is a very tricky space yeah. because it's, like, hollow floorboards... High ceiling. Oh my god, church acoustics. Yeah. Yes. Um, so at some of, some of those points, like where there was the more farcical stuff, they're running around, there's a lot of like footsteps on the ground and it's bouncing off the walls and they're also shouting and saying words. It it was tricky to keep up, but mm. like at the same time, kudos to the actors for having that as an obstacle because mm. that wasn't something they could anticipate before entering the space. Sure. But like having that as an obstacle and then being able to try and work through that um, in a way that like sometimes it is what it is that's what we have to deal with in this moment. Mm. But like, for the most part of the show, just being able to be like, cool, we can work with this space really well, especially as it's an unfamiliar space for them. Because I think they, yeah, it was, opening night was their first run of the show in the space. Oh my God, They didn't sure. get a tech, really. God. Oh, wow. Wow, wow. That, yeah, because that, that space, yeah, presents so many interesting obstacles. Yes. Like, I love that space so much, but 
it's a it's a beast yeah. you have to understand. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, fascinating. Suppose we shall shall dive into the the more the, the, the kind of big one of this this episode, but um, the, the production of Ignis, uh, directed by Bronwyn Coleman. Uh, it was written by, or uh, kind of adapted by, um, Daniel Nello, I believe Nello, uh, and it's based on an Arthur Schnitz, uh, Schnitzler play, uh, which was written in 1887, called La Ronde, um, which basically, structurally, was a play that was ten scenes, uh, with kind of varying pairs of characters happening either before or after sex. So it was a controversial play of its time, <laughs> and uh, Daniel basically took the similar idea and placed it in the Australian kind of bushfire climate. So that's the kind of thing that's going on in the world around this play um, is that there's these fires going on. Oh, sure. um, in like the time period of the bushfires. Or like amidst the fires. Amidst kind of just like a huge wildfire. Oh, wow. It's unspecific as far as what particular time in our timeline it is. Okay. But it's just a time where there's a lot of fire. Cool. Okay. Going on. And that's that kind of chaos is happening outside of these these little rooms. Uh, I, I should also note that it was put on by the Anthropocene Play Company, mm-hmm. um, and it was performed in the Turak Manor Hotel. So it's a bit of juicy site-specific theatre, um, <laughs> which for, I suppose, the, the inspiration being um, La Ronde, and also the, the kind of idea that there's all this chaos going on, out, going on outside of what's going on, being in these little kind of rooms within a hotel for different scenes. Uh, heightened kind of that aspect of there's there's something outside, but we're in here and it's kind of safe in here, but there's these chaotic characters coming into these spaces. Mm. Um, I think uh, I should also note the people that performed the show. So it was a cast of, I believe, from what the website said, 11. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to read out these names. I apologise for any um, uh, mispronunciations. But we have uh, Jordan Fraser Trumbull, Coolan Farrar, Tim Clark, Sophie Muckett, Michaela Ebony, Ismali Taylor Kamara, Sebastian Gunner, Catherine Morville, Claire Larman, Pia Omidra, and Caitlin Langridge. Groovy. Yeah, okay, so uh, uh, an extensive and also wonderful set of, of a cast. Um, basically, the way you arrived at the, the show... You enter the, the front doors of the, the, the Turak Manor Hotel. Mm-hmm. and um, So when you say Turak Manor Hotel, does it look like a hotel or is it like a house? Kind of think it's it's like a big house that's got a lot of little apartments. Okay. Um, kind of across it. So it looks like just one big kind of manor building that they've turned into a hotel. Cool. Um, there was, I believe, five rooms that we moved through. Mm-hmm. But yes, when entering, uh, you're just kind of greeted in the foyer by person uh, who will be your guide between the rooms okay. and then also um, just the kind of little drink station and you just waited there in which I was watching this show with Tobias mm-hmm. who we ran into with Babe City Hotline and I think I mentioned earlier in this episode potentially maybe <laughs> if it's still in it it's um, still in it <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, and we ran into a good friend of mine uh, Brenton Shaw mm-hmm. who was in You're a Catch yes why um, are you single yeah yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that was a pleasant little surprise great um, and so as we're entering this foyer uh, and they've started, they've let us know that we're getting these individual chairs to carry with us through the hotel and that we'd be placing them on top of little um, like witcher hat cones within each of the rooms. Okay. Um, and so we're, first, we're taken to the first room and it's just 
So, and the whole audience is still together? Yes. yes. We're all in one little mob, kind of moving from space to space. Mm -hmm. And so for this first room we enter, we all sit down. There's an actor sitting down writing in a notebook. Um, and once everyone's seated, the, the guide kind of rings a bell, leaves, and then the kind of other character in the scene enters. Mm -hmm. And the kind of structure that then follows is each character kind of has two scenes, um, but it kind of follows the... The, the introduced character into the next scene. Mm -hmm. So in this first scene, the first introduced character kind of stays for both. It begins with him and a prostitute and then moves on to him with his wife. And then you follow the wife to go visit, see like a kind of a politician character in a different room. Mm -hmm. And then that scene ends and the politician's with his wife. And then it kind of moves through each space. And you end up going through about five different rooms, returning back to the, the very first room at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a very kind of... It, it was exciting in the sense that each room kind of shifted the energy a bit. Um, and the I think the big word for it was intimacy mm -hmm. with this show. Okay. Because you, you felt like, when you were in these rooms with these people, there wasn't anything that indicated anything particularly, like, theatrical as far as the lighting. It was just the lighting of the lamps um, and whatnot. Mm. And, you know, you had actors kind of getting out of bed and crossing into an ensuite bathroom through the audience. Mm. Um, and th there was this kind of sense of... Uh, like with all this, you were and as an audience participant, you were kind of almost invading these spaces, these kind of behind closed doors, kind of um, intimate kind of conversations. Um, you were you were in that with them, hmm. which is kind of in that kind of, for lack of a better term, voyeuristic theatrical thing. Exciting. Um, Did that was that just a thing that you were aware of like dramaturgically is that how you felt characterized as an audience member or I think that it was something that you... kind of settled in right I kind of had that to, to process because for me I arrived and I was like cool this is really sick we're at a hotel and we're just kind of exploring this this piece through these different rooms yeah and then kind of thinking about it especially in anticipation of this and being like okay I'm going to be talking about this um I had that kind of thought land as I was just being like okay what 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 did happen and what was the experience of that? And how did I feel? Hmm. Um, which was kind of something that I was like, oh, I have a newfound appreciation that's even deeper for this show. <laughs> um, <laughs> not, not saying, like, it was an incredible show regardless. Sure. Um, aside from that, I think it was, it had its, like, as even just from a writing standpoint, like, there were funny little moments with text. Because sometimes there's, because it's based on something else and there's all these cliches. There was like, say, for example, a, a pastor character that you kind of meet him is writing up a, 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 a sermon and his wife's kind of being like, oh, you want to, like, kind of inviting sex and him just being like, no, I just need to focus on my sermon and then her being like, do you not love me? And him being like, uh, one line that I remember kind of sticking just because it was a bit of a standout within the scene hmm. uh, of him being like, Oh, I do love you. Uh, and no, I'm like, because she asked if he, if he was homosexual. Um, he's like, no, I'm not. That would be a cliche, the, the pastor secretly being homosexual. Hmm. To which the next scene, you kind of end up back in that first room, to which he's there with <laughs> a, a male partner. Yeah. Um, who's very comfortably, um, uh, very comfortably gay. Mm -hmm. And uh, for, for him, he's just very much like, no, uh, this is shameful. Um, and he's like, I am a cliche. <laughs> and that was the kind of little payoff of like a, a small little subtle setup, hmm. um, which 
Uh, it, granted, this could be a, cost, like, a, a credit to the performance, but it didn't feel like it was like, here's a little thing that might pay off later, audience. It was, <laughs> it was a bit more of a, of a, like, just a throwaway little, like, huh. Mm. And then landed a little bit later on that was like, okay, that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of a little, like, <laughs> like it's, it's the text kind of not taking itself too seriously. Sure. Because um, okay. I'm sure that would have also been something taken into account when it was adapt- when it was adapted and kind of created into something new by Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was really good yeah. <laughs> as a show. Um, and yeah, I, I love anything that's kind of somewhat immersive or site-specific or just a, a shift from your conventional theatrical experience. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I'm like, what... what exciting new things could come out of this. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, you you being a writer and an actor and everything that you are. Yeah. Um if you were tasked with making a piece that had to be this a similar style of intimate. Mm. Is there something is there an idea that springs forth inside of you that you'd enjoy playing with as a performer or writing as a writer? I I don't think I quite understand. Could you elaborate a bit more? I guess I'm just <laughs> I I yeah, I, I what am I trying to interrogate? I just I guess if I give you I give you like a like an opulent, sweet little like motel bedroom, mm-hmm. and I tell you that you have to put a show on in five days, mm-hmm. and you have to be in it. Mm. What do you make? Uh, the initial like uh, spontaneous thought that my brain uh, has is like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. But um, uh, uh, what do I make? Uh, I probably well, it would be. A scene, I suppose, akin to the the very first scene of the show, which okay. was kind of this this character who's a, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of a little bit of cruelty in theater, just as far as intention between people. So it was like a character <laughs> making demands of a prostitute, okay. so much so to the point where it's like, what's the worst thing you've ever done uh-huh. for you that you that that's made you feel horrible? Yeah. And she's like, and the way they played off the moment, which was wonderful, um, was just like a, her coming over and like whispering what it was into his ear and being like, I want you, I want, I want you to do that. Um, and then her being like, no, that's, and switching, like kind of, because the, the prior to that point, she's kind of playing the character of the prostitute being like, I'll be whatever you want me to do. Mm. And kind of trying to, kind of empower and then having him do that and that completely shift the power of the scene. Mm. And then her being like, no. And him being like, yes, I will pay you double. Mm. And then throws the money on the floor um, kind of thing. Um, yeah. I feel like something exploring, uh, I suppose, the, the the darker conversations that happen behind closed doors. Mm. Um, there, there, there was quite a few, some really wonderful scenes. But I feel like if I was, if I had five days, yeah, <laughs> I'd just be like, um, these are two archetypes that come to mind as far as like storytelling tools. Mm. Uh, let's work with that and see what comes out. <laughs> okay. And then yeah, from a performance standpoint, it would just be if I feel like I'm doing something, doing less, just kind of trusting in the text. Mm-hmm. And trusting in the, the moment and the connection and how close the audience kind of is to it. And just kind of being vulnerable, but honest. And um, yeah, it's like, it's almost filmic, but in a hotel room. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> um, yeah, I think you, that provides, with at least a hotel room kind of scenario that, that provides an opportunity and I think the more you, you lean into that that intimate kind of energy, hmm. the more the audience feels like they're, they're intruding on something or the more kind of 
I suppose, real the dilemma is for the, the audience in that, as far as, like, I don't know if I should be watching this, but I c- can't really look away. <laughs> right. God, God, that's so interestingly put. That's, oh, my God, um, I want to ask you, like, 12 questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of, even just a statement that's part of what was so interesting about you, what you just said mm. is, like, positioning the audience like that is kind of a little bit against their will turning them into perpetrators of something yeah. kind of immoral. Which is exciting. That's, well, <laughs> for some people, that's exciting, absolutely. Yeah. Is there... Well, you saying that you're attracted to darkness in theatre, mm. um, is there a type of darkness that you're interested in exploring in yourself in performance? Elaborate. <laughs> like, if... You say that you want to explore darkness and the darkness interests you in theatre. Mm. Presumably in theatre that you would be a part of making? Is that fair to say? I suppose so, yes. So if do you, if someone's like, Sebastiano, mm-hmm. I've got this piece. It's, it's a two-hander. Mm-hmm. It's an intimate piece. Mm-hmm. I really want you to be in it. Mm. But I have to warn you, it's really dark. Yeah. What type of dark do you hope that it is? I feel like it could kind of go one of two ways. Mm-hmm. There's either the dark that's like kind of really, I suppose, ripping into something, a feeling, a thought, a fear that's felt by, I suppose, the writer, but as a result, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that I'm like, oh, being able to be able to bring that to an audience and be like, here it is. Do you see it? We see it. This writer who's created this story has been inspired by it. Um, and as a result, I think I think the, the kind of beautiful thing out of the darker stuff is that, like, people can recognise those those kind of... Like, oh, I have had that feeling. And I either, with the, the thing of shame before, have felt that in relation to judging that. Mm. But it is there, and that's okay. Um, or it can be the thing of, like, I remember someone pitching something that was, like, dark, but it was just, like, um, really just kind of messed up dark in an in a almost comedic way okay. where it's like so extreme that it's like Jesus <laughs> that would be fun to play <laughs> um, like exploring things as far as like um, uh, I know for this particular person without giving away what the, the story was sure, like exploring yeah. sexual dynamics especially um, in in like a, a like director-actor relationships and then kind of things being inverted and it just being really like Poking, almost poking fun in that kind of sincere black comedy way, hmm. um, where it's like, oh no, this show takes itself seriously, but like, it is a bit of bit farcical just from the circumstances themselves. Hmm. But the like the, the performance side is very still serious uh, because the the characters are just in the reality that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose yeah, those are the to answer if that answers your question, hmm. that would be kind of two of the things that that makes me interested so kind of fun play make believe going into something that is morally kind of ugly Hmm. and is not something that i necessarily engage in my in my life but in the kind of make believe safe play pretend space that is theater and performing Hmm. being able to be like cool yay you know (laughs) i get to murder someone and not actually kill someone and me go to jail like (laughs) um or uh in that space of like oh there is something kind of I suppose there's a great deal of hurt or, or pain in this kind of thought that the, the show's presenting. Hmm. And I can help people feel seen or 
or, or heard in that. I think uh, a good example would have, like, granted, it's not overtly dark, but, um, like, it was Stopover. Yeah. Like, that show had a lot of love for my character. And um, because he was infatuated with this person, but also the thing that I, that I really kind of enjoyed was that he wasn't really infatuated with her, but the idea of her hmm. um, and the kind of obsession in his own loneliness with this person that gave him a feeling at some point. Hmm. Um, and, and I found that to be something that I was like, oh, I can kind of gear into that and, and, and find something really kind of real, um, that, that kind of longing for, 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 I suppose, being seen and being able and being heard and, and, and that kind of translating into love hmm. um, or the, the illusion of it and using that as my way of being like, yes, here's this character that's like, oh, I'm so in love with you. I think you're great. Um, but when he's actually like confronted in the show with like, what's great about me, he's like, you're, just, you're nice and um, you, I think you're amazing and... And just kind of being kind of a bit flabbergasted and mm. not really sure why. Um, because, yeah, I think that's a very real experience for people. But um, that kind of thing of finding that flavour that's... Even when it's, like, something so beautifully, like, honest and, and wholesome that, like, deep down the surface, beneath the surface, there is something darker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God, no, that's a lovely answer. That's great. No, that's... And it's also just, like, so wonderful in time someone says anything... Of the ilk that you just described, um, the thing of being willing to explore dark things and to to kind of like to make the empathic sacrifices necessary to access the parts of you that permit yourself to like, and I don't know the intricacies of what your particular process is, mm. but to delve into anything that explores things like cruelty and darkness and these things that people are afraid of exploring in themselves require you as an artist to explore those things in yourself in order to tell the story in an effective way. Yeah. For the most part. And that's a generous thing for a person to do and for someone to put it as nicely as you did to say that that's a thing that you're excited about doing, like you're the type of person that I guess should be making that type of art, mm. which is nice. And then also just being silly on stage is also really fun. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just being a bit of, bit of a engaging, I suppose, away from that, that stuff, but just yeah. having a bit of a play. Mm-hmm. That's all, also really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ignis was great. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, yes. <laughs> Sorry to see your beautiful smile and then take it away again. Just to dwell on darkness for a second. Is there, is there a thing recently that you've encountered in art or in life Mm. that has struck you as intriguing because of its darkness or a dark thing that has struck you as intriguing that you'd want to explore or even that you just can't stop thinking about? Hmm. I think that a show that initially comes to mind um, in it just being something that I suppose I hadn't seen anything like it that much recently was Pops. Yeah. Um, just because even just uh, towards the end of the show being that, that sequence in which there's kind of the, the, incre- the crescendo in the music and you have the actor kind of dancing along with it and that kind of impl- the, the, the kind of deeper story of addiction behind that. Mm. Um, but in this particular kind of transition of music from that rock song that was something that was repeatedly played throughout the show so much so that as an audience member you were on that journey of like, God, this song's really kind of starting to annoy me. <laughs> Which was uh, the experience that um, uh, one of the characters was feeling. But kind of the... The sequence at the end of the kind of release and enjoyment of that movement and its transition into almost that like doofy music. Mm. And then also watching the moments of the, the actor 
um, playing with where the music shifted back into just kind of radio land as opposed to blaring through the speakers, consuming us in the space land, hmm. um, where they were just like, no, stop it, please help me. And then the music playing again and then being ripped back into that. There's, I, I find a beautiful uh, a dynamic in that. It, even, even recently I was um, reading a, a, a script that I was offering some, like, that offering some feedback on. And in kind of one of my ways of exploring a particular moment, because there was a, a, a moment in this kind of two-hander show where there was these two characters dancing, um, and both these characters kind of haunted by different things in their past, mm. but uh, involving their kind of previous partners. And there was a thought that occurred to me that I was like, oh, that's something kind of poetic and beautiful and also really sad. But, like, these characters, for a moment, kind of relishing in that, that kind of embrace or the slow kind of sway and then like just for a second dancing with the person from their past which for one it was like one character really misses that person mm. and then for the other it was a deeply traumatic um, violation and kind of the the dynamic of, of I suppose pain in that mm. um, and the kind of difference of like pain from yearning and pain from I suppose the frustration of still being affected by something. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't know if that's... Like, I wrote that as a thought. I was like, I don't know if that's a writing note. I don't know if you can... But, like, this was a thought that occurred to me and I just thought it was really beautiful. Mm. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, that kind of stuff. Sure. If that makes sense. That does... It was certainly a bunch of interesting stuff in a row. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, are you a person who yearns? Yes. You are? Yeah. I mean... Uh, uh, I, I use, I think it's why I love performing, but like connection and exploring that in its, in its many fine, its broad spectrum and its many finite forms that it comes in. Mm. Well, finite, infinite. That's the <laughs> word I'm looking for. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Not finite. That's the opposite. But um, yeah. Uh, and I think, yeah, the connection comes from that, that place of like, I suppose if you want to get to an, an elementary level, mm. like... I want you to play with me. Let's play a game. Hmm. <laughs> Let's play make-believe. Yeah. Um, and then exploring all the different kind of games, be it this is the game that I'm dying and you're mourning my death. Um, or <laughs> like adult make-believe. Mm. <laughs> um, which is, yeah, it, it, I think, I, I think the joke that I make. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think I've made this to you before, but like whenever it comes to like, why do you, why do you perform, Seb? They're like, the, the, the dark answer I give just because I like, I suppose, emotionally disarming people just momentarily um, is uh, I wasn't played enough with it as a kid. So now I'm making up for it. Like, <laughs> it's, it's just like, it's fun. <laughs> because, right. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, f- thank you. For, for, <laughs> I suppose facilitating me to talk so much thank you um anyone listening that that sat any like to any of the people listening that sat through that and then kind of were on the journey with me um <laughs> I, I tend to meander about a bit when it comes to my thoughts <laughs> great for podcasts fantastic yeah oh no no you're perfect no thank you no thank you again so much for being here sebastiano um yeah thank you to everyone yeah that that's that's listening um yeah thank you for coming yeah as you said on this journey with us um 
Yeah, I guess we're going to go see a play now. Yes, so, I'm excited. Um, yeah, I'm excited too. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we should go. So yeah, so as always, um, we may already disagree with everything we just said, and friends don't let friends become theatre critics. No. No. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much for being here. Always, thank you for having me.